Um, is, is that on? Can you hear me? Oh, yes. <laughs> I can hear me as well. That's worrying. Um, now, it, if there's a lesson to be learned today, I think it's don't take a passage of Scripture that is too obvious. Because Ben has already taken the first half of what I was going to share. <laughs> um, but for the sake of those listening at home, I'll just have to repeat it one time. Um, as he correctly said, what I wanted to talk about a little bit was our comfort zones. And mainly, of course, our comfort zones as Christians. But to paint the picture for that, I wanted first of all to look at comfort zones in other areas of our lives. We've all got them. And most of us don't like to move too far outside of our comfort zones, even though most of us do like trying new things. We don't want to be too adventurous, do we? Or at least some of us don't. Now, I know there are some here who like to do things really differently, and we'll get around to that in a minute. But let's start off with food. Now, um, a few weeks ago, Peter Falls did a demonstration at the front, you remember, about sandwich making and the sort of things that you might put on a sandwich. Those nice, familiar things that we could say are comfort food. Um, it's good to try different things, though, isn't it? Is it? As we saw illustrated earlier on. Um, I didn't put my hand up to anything because I know I'm allergic to prawns. I came out in a really nasty rash that lasted a week the last time I had prawns. Um, and I just suspect that all those other squirmy sort of things might have the same effect on me. So I wasn't going to try them for love nor money. Uh, some people, though, were very brave. But most of the non-takers, I, I think, were perhaps faced with moving out of their comfort zone if they tried it. Yeah? Um, I, I like different combinations, though, as long as they haven't got shellfish in. Um, there used to be a deli and bake-up which served delicious sandwiches of slightly unusual combinations. Um, my my favourite wasn't actually a step too far, but it was uh, bread spread with hummus, then chicken, and then fresh mango and salad to top it off. And it was really nice. Slightly unusual combination. Um, I've tried a few different combinations of my own recently. And I, I did toy with the idea of bringing some of these to experiment on you lot with. Um, but we've already done the sort of uh, squirmy thing today, so uh, perhaps we won't go down that line. Um, but who fancies a sandwich of fresh salmon, cooked of course, um, sweet chili sauce and strawberries? Anybody fancy that combination? Yeah, few few takers here. It's actually quite nice, quite delicious, and it's a combination that I first came across at Old Hucky's, so thanks my cock. You know, it's a good one. Um, black pudding, anyone? I think that was mentioned. No, no, lots of people like it, a few people shaking their heads like it or loathe it. It's mainly just the thought, isn't it? Um, anyway, um, we did think we'd do a practical... Um, sort of experiment, uh, something to try out here. Now, if I can have some assistance, we've got some things to pass around. Can I say that this probably is not a step too far for people? Um, in fact, I'm sure it won't be a step too far. These are really rather nice. And your challenge is to identify the secret ingredient. So there's three lots here. Um, 
So if you'd like to uh, take a bun and sample one, I hope we've got enough to go around. Um, they, they look pretty much like chocolate cakes, and they taste pretty much like chocolate cakes, actually. Uh, could you just pass those around while I carry on talking? Oh, look, you've already got one. <laughs> right, um, so we'll come back to the buns when you've all had a chance to sort of taste them. And remember, what is the secret ingredient? Um, what about other things from our lives that take us outside of our comfort zones? Um, anybody here enjoy skiing? There's a brave man over there who told me he hasn't been skiing many times, but when he sees a black run, he can't help but jump over the edge and down he goes. Um, Kate and I are not like that. We did go skiing at the end of February. Um, I don't know why we went to the Austrian Alps. They're far too steep. <laughs> we were just far out of our comfort zone with that. Anything that looked too bumpy or steeper than about 45 degrees, well, actually, less than that, just seemed a step too far for us, um, and it was quite a challenge. But something good t did come out of that, because it was at that time that God gave me the seeds of this sermon. So you can blame Austria for what I'm saying today, really. Um, now, another step too far... Um, did anyone realize that it was a special day yesterday, uh, a, a world day, for doing something slightly unusual? I bet nobody here participated. And in fact, if you did participate, uh, please don't tell us, because quite honestly, the rest of us don't want to know. Because yesterday was World Naked Gardening Day. <laughs> Uh, now, I think that would have taken most of us outside of our comfort zones, wouldn't it? Yes. Mm. Okay. Um, well, what about spiritual comfort zones? Have you ever been outside your comfort zone, spiritually speaking? And I'm slightly outside my comfort zone speaking to you today, but only slightly. You know, it's, it's one of those different things that you don't mind doing, really. Um, but let me tell you about something that happened to me about 20 years ago. Um, I was down in London with some friends at a John Wimber conference. And there was a fantastic time of worship that focused on the river coming from the throne of God. And during that time, I felt God was saying to me that I should give a prophecy. And the prophecy was basically about not stepping into the river of God wearing dirty boots. And I was scared. There were about 3,000 people there. And here was, you know, a, a much younger man than I am now from Rossendale down in London. All these eminent speakers around who um, I admired greatly. And I, I just couldn't bring myself to give that word. Now, God did what he often does, and he gave the word to someone else who gave it in almost identical words to those I'd received. And, of course, what you do, you promise God that you'll never, ever fluff it again, don't you? Lord, if you have the grace to give me a prophecy in, in the future, I promise I will share it. And what happens? You don't. You don't. And quite honestly, over time, I've become less and less familiar with the charismatic. And um, I suppose, in a way, I've quenched the spirit. And to some extent, I feel a little bit confused at the moment about charismatic things. But as I was writing this sermon, I heard, well, back to Mike Huck again. Do you remember the last time he spoke here? He spoke on, it's not too late. 
And I suddenly heard his words again, saying, it's not too late. So I just wonder what God wants to do. Whether he wants to, to move me, some of us, into things that are more charismatic. But that's not the subject of my sermon. That's for hearing God and listening to God in the future. Um, I, I wonder, actually, talking about the Holy Spirit, whether um, American friends felt slightly out of their comfort zones when they were here. Because I've been told on good authority, uh, Robert, that is, um, that Southern Baptists cannot be um, missionaries if they speak in tongues. And yet they were here and tongue was given and so on. So I, I don't know. A anyway, um, back to the buns. Can anybody identify something slightly unusual in the bun? Anybody got any ideas? Yeah, there's an orange in them, yeah, but it wasn't orange I was after because you can definitely taste orange in chocolate. Yeah, a any other ideas? Okay, um, some, Tony? No, no chili. No, no, we, we'd have made you aware if there was chili in it. We'd have put more than that in. <laughs> um, okay, I, I'll, I'll give you, sorry? No, no gravy. I'll give you a clue. Look at my jumper. This also is a step outside my comfort zone. I don't normally wear anything that's at all bright. You know, sort of navy blue is more my thing, really, isn't it? And grey. Um, but, uh, close, close. Um, actually, the ingredient is beetroot. And uh, the recipe is out of a fair trade cookery book. Um, and there's a considerable amount of beetroot in each batch of these muffins or buns or whatever you want to call them. Now, if we'd said to you before you had one, w would you like a chocolate and beetroot muffin? <laughs> what would you have said? Would you have said yes, please? Or would there have been people here who'd have said no? Brian said no. But did you enjoy it, Brian? Yeah, he did. Right, thank you. <laughs> right, so enough of anecdotes anyway, enough of experimenting. Um, let's move back to the Bible and uh, the word that was read to us earlier on. Um, today's reading speaks of an evolving theology. Peter's vision is reported twice in chapters 10 and 11 of Acts, as if to emphasize the very point. When Peter was presented with a vision of unclean and clean animals, he protested. He'd never, ever even considered any unclean food before. He'd always followed the um, lifelong tradition of obeying Jewish dietary laws. So to see uh, a sheet, as it were, being lowered from heaven with all sorts of animals on was a step too far for him. Now, you and I might think that you could go and cherry-pick, take out the ones that were clean, that were all right, and eat those. But no, to the devout Jew, you see, they'd been contaminated by the unclean. The unclean made the clean itself dirty, and they couldn't eat it. Um, Peter, you will, of course, know, often needed things drumming into his head, so he saw this vision three times. And it's not the first time that things had happened to Peter three times, is it? Um, Peter, in a way, should have been prepared for what God was trying to say to him. Because by this stage in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Jesus had already said to the eleven disciples, go into all nations and make disciples. Um, they had preached 
in Samaria and saw Samaritans being converted. But to the Jewish mind at that time, which was never closed to non-Jews coming to faith, but they did believe that first of all people would have to uh, convert to Judaism and embrace circumcision. That was the belief at the time. So when the gospel was preached to non-Jews, they expected them to, to, to be um, circumcised if that was necessary or relevant, uh, as it would for 50% of them, I presume. <laughs> um, and out of that, then, yes, non-Jews could be saved. So this really was a, a huge step for Peter. And God told Peter that he was sending messengers to call him and he was to go with them. And he went to the centurion's house and when he got there, he shared what had happened. He shared the gospel. But back in Jerusalem, they hear about this and there's uproar. Um, sorry, I've lost my place. <laughs> um, Peter is called to account and as he relates the story, the hearts and minds of the believers in Jerusalem are open to the truth of the gospel. And they begin to praise God for his grace to the Gentiles. I look on this Caesarea as being an extension of Pentecost. Because people heard the word, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they were baptized. So in a way, it's just God extending what he was doing to another community. So the Jewish believers found themselves moving from one comfort zone, thinking they had their theology sorted out, into, and, you know, they, they were certain about that. They were in a place of security with it, folks. But they had to give that up and move into a different sort of comfort zone, where they put on one side the unique revelation they previously received, uh, to where they could embrace God's gift through Christ to the whole of hum humanity, not just to the Jews. So, this is a, a paradigm shift, if you like, in the gospel. Previously, it was a word to the Jews and those who would convert through Judaism. Now the word was open to the whole of the world. It's because of that that we are here today. And if we just look at, and we all know these words from Galatians, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All one in Christ Jesus. Now I'd like, now I'd like to discuss very briefly three propositions loosely based on my thoughts about comfort zones in the Bible. Um, firstly, to be in a comfort zone can itself carry dangers. To be in a comfort zone can itself be a dangerous place to be. Seems slightly strange, that thought, doesn't it? Let me read you some words from Hosea. But I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt... You shall acknowledge no God but me, no saviour except me. I cared for you in the desert, in the land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. 
if life is too good, Scripture warns us that there's a danger of forgetting God, moving under our own strength. My second uh, point is this. Sometimes God says, settle down where it doesn't seem too comfortable at first, and I will bless you. Or to put it another way, you might not be really very happy where you are now, but this is where I intend you to be, and I want you to settle and to be blessed. Um, Jeremiah 29 verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may have sons and daughters too. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the prosperity and peace of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I think we can probably take it as read that the Jewish exiles didn't really want to be in exile and thought that their sole goal should be getting back to Jerusalem as quickly as they could. God had other ideas. And actually it was in exile that a radical change in Jewish belief happened. Um, Previously, God was worshipped first in the tabernacle, then in the temple. The people went to where God was to worship. Now, because the people were in exile, they discovered that they could worship God where they were. And that God actually was with them in the place they were at. Again, a remarkable paradigm shift, a change in the outlook. And in the time of exile, the seeds of synagogue worship were sown. And out of synagogue worship, eventually came some of the foundations of the way the church developed. Um, Third proposition. When we're out of our comfort zone, we might look for solutions that seem good in our own eyes. That God gives us what we ask for, doesn't necessarily mean that we are in the will of God. Strange one, maybe. Should I just say that again? We might look for solutions that seem good to our own eyes and pray that God would give them to us. The fact that we get them and God has given them to us doesn't necessarily confirm that it's in God's perfect and best will for us. My example for that is um, Samuel. When Samuel was old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel, but they were no gooders. They made a mess of things. Um, They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. 
as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so are they doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. So the people thought moving away from the time of judges to a time of nationhood under a king would bring them blessings. There were times of blessing. There were times of blessing. But if you read the story of the kings of Israel and Judah, you'll realize that there were probably more times of hardship and difficulty than there were a blessing. And of course, ultimately, many, many people were carried into exile in one or or two examples, which I probably haven't got time to go into at the moment. (laughs) Um, You can find other examples of this in the Exodus, for example, when the, the people want something, they pray, God gives, but it's not necessarily his perfect will for them. So you cannot assume that the fact that God gives you something you've asked for means that you're praying in his will. So, um, how do we conclude with all this? It's a bit of a mishmash, isn't it? Some challenging thoughts, I think. We like the security of the familiar, especially in times of uncertainty. For us as Christians, the greatest certainty of all is of God's love for us, demonstrated through Christ. Now, God does not change, nor does he change his mind. But scripture is full of God, um, God-directed and God-inspired changes of direction for his people. I look on this as the unpredictability of God. Of course, it isn't. It's just that we think God is unpredictable because we are imperfect and we cannot see the mind of God. So sometimes God does things which you're not expecting. Outside our comfort zone, we know we need faith. Now, sometimes, I don't know how your faith is. Maybe it's constant and strong. Sometimes it seems to me that my faith is strong and I could almost move mountains. I could say to the sea, be stilled, and it will be stilled. And I've been in that place where I felt God was saying, be still to the sea. Well, actually, it was the seven estuary. But it seemed as if the waves died down, just for a few seconds, as if God was confirming his power. But at other times, my faith seems so tenuous that it feels like walking on a tightrope. And it's so hard and so difficult, it feels as if just a feather blowing through the air would be enough to knock you off. But I want to just say that there is actually not much difference between faith when it's tenuous and faith when it's strong. Because Jesus himself said in Matthew 17 verse 20, faith as small as a mustard seed is all it takes. In our search for a new minister, we won't find another Robert. I'm convinced of that. We won't get back as a church to the comfort zone we were in when Robert was our minister here. I feel God will move us on. And in so doing, will take some of us out of our comfort zone. Is God calling us to move on from being a people who are predominantly hearers of the gospel to be people who are the gospel, who are the good news, 
taking it to our families, friends, neighbors, and communities. We started today, and I'm grateful for God, to God for what he gave to Ben, because we started singing Beauty for Brokenness, which so strongly talks about social issues and issues of justice, which are a part of God's heart as much as preaching the gospel in words. Maybe we need to preach the gospel in deeds. So we need to pray and search for a minister who is right for us now. In the place of uncertainty, because of the examples I've given you earlier on, I think you'll agree that that we need to learn to recognize the voice of God. But recognizing the voice of God, even if that takes us into uncharted territory. I'm going to finish by just quoting a, a couple of words that Brian shared with us, Brian Marshall, that is, um, at the church meeting the other Tuesday. He said we need to be prepared for a quantum leap to take a chance. Well, the chance we were presented with at that meeting is no longer for us. But I think the words still ring true, that we need as a church to be prepared to take a chance. If we're looking for going back to what we had before, I think we'll be disappointed. And even if through prayer and supplication to God, we were given something similar, we might have to recognize at the end of the day that that wasn't God's perfect will for us. We're going to move towards communion in a moment um, as we do so and as we prepare for that. We're going to sing at the foot of the cross.